life. Number five was let nothing be wasted. An admonition to implement what you've been given. Number six was the value of commission. The beauty of discipleship under godly governance. Don't you just love the yoke? You love to get yoked? Pastor Kaysen, what did we preach on last week? Last week, we preached on ignited to initiate. Did you guys enjoy that? Man, one of my favorite things that the Lord spoke to us as we were preparing for last week is that you will only initiate the direction that you've received or that you've heard is if you love and admire those who are directing you. Amen. Come on. So if, do you all love your Father in heaven? Yes. Do you all love the fathers and brothers that God has put right here in this house? <laughs> yes. And through that love for one another, we are all becoming authentically discipled in Christ. This week, finally today, on this beautiful Christmas morning. Come on. I even wore maroon or red for you guys. We're like this like muted Christmas tree color going on. Finally today, we are on our final week of our authentic discipleship series. Today's message is titled Authentic Discipleship, Magnifying His marvelous light come on say magnifying Magnifying. say his marvelous light light. you get the point already but before we move forward today i got one word to say to you got two words yeah the lord gave me two words for y'all this morning he told me to tell you merry christmas (laughs) merry christmas you know it means something special when it comes from it's, so, it's something about that. It was like the juju off that Christmas tree in Morgan's living room got on me or something. I got my Christmas spirit back. I, I'm not the Grinch anymore. Come on. <laughs> Y'all, there is nothing, seriously though, there is nothing I like to speak more about than the glory of our God filling the whole cosmos. But what a great time to prophesy over you today just how much he desires for you to shine with him. And that the little baby that came in a stable was not the beginning nor the end of his glory here on earth. But rather the single greatest moment of Yahweh not only inviting his people into his presence, but inviting his people to walk with him to become like him. Come on, if there's anything we can celebrate today, it's that Yahweh thought that the greatest thing he could do was to send his very own son that we would be able to walk with him and become like him, that we would be able to be holy as God spoke to us earlier this year, that we would be able to come like him because we walk with him. Is that not the very concept of discipleship? Our first passage today is going to start in Isaiah chapter 9. Y'all turn there with us. We're going to start on verse 1, so don't get scared. Some of you may have ESVs, NIVs. If you're brave, you have the Passion Translation. (laughs) But we're going to read this morning out of the CJB. I think our CJB fan club is out of town today. I think so. so. But we're going to do it anyways in honor of them. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. (laughs) Somebody will track with us this morning. 
So in the CJB, it's verse 1, and in an English American translation, I believe it starts in verse 2. <laughs> it says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those living in the land that lies in the shadow of death, light has dawned. Come on. Light has dawned. Amen. When we speak of wanting to see the glory of God fill the whole cosmos, this is where it starts. The light has to first dawn. The people saw a great light, and they did not just see any light. They saw a great light. This light is defined via the word great, which means as large in magnitude and extent, in number, in intensity. It's loud in sound, ancient in age, and of the most importance. That's what the word great means. A great light. And that light has dawned on the living. And the living are among us in this room this morning. You guys are the living that the light has dawned on. And every one of us in here this morning are living. This is the presence and light that we're all interacting with. And it seems like there's a certain magnificence regarding this light. John 1 says that the darkness cannot understand or perceive that light. That light, the magnificent light, the loud light, the intense light, the darkness cannot understand it. Because this light carries glory, honor, and magnificence of which darkness knows nothing about. Yeah. But you know who gets to understand this light? We do. The living, and that's good news. Let's pick up again in verse, and it, for me it's verse 2. It says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice in your presence as if rejoicing at harvest time, the way men rejoice when dividing up the spoil. For the yoke that weighed them down, the bar across their shoulders, and their driver's goad you have broken is on the day of Midian's defeat. Yeah. For all the boots of soldiers marching and every cloak that's rolled in blood is destined for burning, fuel for the fire. Come on. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, Dominion will rest on his shoulders, and he will be given the name Pela Yoetz, El Gibor, Avi Ad, Sar Shalom. Wonder of a counselor, mighty God, father of eternity, and prince of peace. In order to extend the dominion and perpetuate the peace of the throne and kingdom of David, to secure it and sustain it through justice and righteousness, Henceforth and forever. The zeal of Adonai Zavaot will accomplish this. Amen. The people have seen a great light and it has dawned on them. Why? In order that King Yeshua might extend his dominion and perpetuate the peace of the throne and kingdom of David to secure it and sustain it. Yeah. That's some good news. The zeal of Adonai, the Lord of hosts or the God of angel armies will do this. Yeshua is the great light, and his incarnation as a human infant was the beginning of the light that magnified the cosmos. To that baby, King Yeshua, who was born in the stable, was the dominion and power of the entire creation due. Yahweh gave him to creation, each and every one of us included, so that we might share in his dominion and his kingdom advancement over the same creation. The increase of his kingdom and dominion has always and will always come by one soul laying down his life for the other's life to magnify 
the Son. I'm going to read that again because we've gone through a seven-week discipleship series. And let me tell you, if you don't get to this point in your discipleship, then everything we've talked about the past seven weeks and everything you've learned over the months or years that you've been here at Remnant Church is easily wasted. Yeah. Easily wasted. It means nothing. It means nothing to God. It means nothing to you. It means nothing to your brothers next to you. I'm going to read it again. It says, The increase of his dominion and kingdom has always and will always come by one soul laying down his life for the other person's life to maximize their potential to magnify the sun. Yeshua is the beginning of light. He is the revelation of hope. He is the promise of victory now and in the end. Listen, church, discipleship does not aim to make you a clone of the one who's discipling you. Discipleship is aimed to magnify the sun who should be shining through you. Pastor Michael doesn't disciple each and every one of us just so we can reproduce a bunch of Pastor Michaels. Because I love Pastor Michael and I admire that man a lot. And he would be the first to tell you if there were a bunch of mini Michaels running around, this world would not be in a good place. It'd be weird. That's a real man of God. There's only room for one. True. But aren't you glad that we have a, a leader of a pastor who loves the Lord first and foremost? And his number one desire is to see the Lord shine through each and every one of us in this room. Yeah. Because he knows and we have learned that that is the only way that comes to magnify the sun. That through each and every one of us, we are then able to stand up, not only reflect, but reproduce the light that's been placed in us by Yeshua himself. Magnification is to take something like the light that is Christ and magnify it to the point that it covers the entire earth. Magnification is not reflection. You can reflect Christ, but think about reflection for a second. When you look in a mirror, you see what? Your reflection. You see yourself. Your reflection your reflection only reflects what is in front of you. So if you're looking at something and there's a mirror in front of you, the mirror is only going to catch what's right here. Magnification magnifies that, and like a headlight in a car, moves the light all around you this direction. Yeah, yeah. So when something shines on you, you then display it for all to see, not just the person in front of you. Because Yeshua does need to see that you burn brightly, and he does need to see that you are on fire and you are a light. And everyone else needs to see it too. So what good are you if you look in the mirror and go, man, I love Jesus. Aren't I just shining so brightly? You look at Pastor Mike Peck, it's like, man, I can see Jesus all over you. But that's the problem. Only he can see Jesus all over yeah. you because he's the one looking at you. So if you hop to the side or to the right or the left and you work on moving like this, then everything around you, get, Jesus gets magnified through everything around you and in you. Amen. John 1 says darkness is the absence of light, the absence of Yeshua. We are those who live in his marvelous light and magnify him so that the rest of the world living in darkness may see the light and be led to him. Yeah. This is what it means for the perpetuation and extension of the governance of his light to cover the face of the earth. He did not come simply for you to pledge your fealty to him. Drag with me. He did not come just simply for you to pledge your fealty to him or 
for your perfectly polished surface to reflect back to him his own image, but rather the magnification of his light by way of your transparency. Is that not what genuine discipleship turns out to be like? The doors of your heart opened up before your God and b- before the men and women that God has put in your life and say, walk with me, help me, encourage me, build me up, because God intended for us to do this together. This is the difference between reflection and refraction. Say reflection. Reflection. Say refraction. Refraction. Two very different things. Pastor Landon started on it a little bit for us. Reflection is not right. We're talking about the light of the light of heaven, the light that is Yeshua. When we're talking about a magnification of the light of God, re- reflection isn't the right concept. Reflection is not right because the intended purpose of discipleship, aka walking with Jesus, aka becoming like Jesus by proximity to Jesus, and those who carry the very essence and nature of Jesus is to impact the entirety of the creation around you. Yahweh is not a narcissistic God. Yahweh is not a narcissistic God. His, His desire and your leader's desires are not that each one of us can look upon this squared off, shiny surface and see how great we are. God is not in the business of making mirrors. And neither are your leaders. Ask any dad in the room. Dads, do you want a son that acts just like you and spends the rest of his life right in front of your face doing nothing but showing yourself back to you? Or do you want sons who have received the impact of God himself and Yeshua and you and go and impact the whole world? Because one's reflection and one's refraction. Refraction is what we want in sons. Refraction is what we want in disciples of Jesus right here in this house. But it's going to have to take some leaders, some moms and dads to be willing to say, I don't need to stare at my reflection the rest of my life. I want my sons and daughters to magnify what Yeshua has done in me. The truly, authentically discipled person is one who, after a time of being nurtured and held near, spends the rest of their life initiating and magnifying the very nature of God. We don't want clones and worker drones who serve our purposes. Instead, we want those who carry and refract off the light that hit them. But this is the trouble with Israel and the rest of Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 7. Adonai sent a word to Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Shamran. But they say in pride, in the arrogance of their hearts, in pride and in the arrogance of their hearts, they say the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with cut stone. And the arrogance of their hearts, they say, bricks have fallen, so now we're going to rebuild it with cut stone. The sycamore fig trees have been chopped down, but we will replace them with cedars. So Adonai has raised up Redzin's foes against him and spurred on his enemies. This is where we do not want you to be mistaken, church. Many men have built many fine systems upon the backs of well-behaved Christians. 
who were hewn or cut into a uniform shape. That's why in our message about four weeks ago, we talked about the importance of unity versus uniformity. Discipleship is not squaring every one of you off to be perfectly fit blocks that are then polished so, so we can have this shiny golden pyramid that you would see in Las Vegas or something. Tell me that that's something that Yahweh would build. Absolutely not. This is the pride. This is the pride that Israel had there in Isaiah chapter 9. And this is the problem with considering each one of you to be an opaque brick in the wall or just a well-polished surface to reflect back to God what he already knows about himself. This is that pride in Isaiah chapter 9. We will rebuild again with cut stone. Come on, if that's not been a motto in our country over and over again. Man, Babylon has fallen. A tower has fallen. We will rebuild. And over and over and over and over again. As many times as our enemies hit us, we will rebuild the same system over and over again. And that's exactly what's been going on in the church for millennium. We will rebuild again with cut stone and again and again and again until we become better than the church down the road or better than our parents or better than the list of charismatic or prophetic moves that have come through this town. How did that work for them? Well, the last prophetic move that came through town didn't work, so we will rebuild with even finer cut stones this time. We're going to sharpen those edges up more. We're going to polish it more, attract more people to it. How did it work for the last ones? They don't exist anymore. Probably because fathers were too busy making cut stones instead of acknowledging unity by the the, the beauty of the difference that we all have, right? Instead of another system, they don't, they don't, these systems don't exist anymore, or at least their impact doesn't, and it's for a reason. Instead of another system proving the efficacy of our discipleship, we ought to consider something else, church. Our next passage is 1 John chapter 4. Turn there with us. Because we want you to know through 1 John chapter 4 that those who walk with him become like him. Those who walk with Yeshua... And those who walk with men who carry the very essence of Yeshua become like him. He is perfect love. And our becoming like him is evidenced by our sacrificial love for one another. Look at verse 7 when you get to 1 John chapter 4. Save magnify when you get there. Starting in verse 7 it says, Those who are loved by God. Are you a people loved by God? Are you a people that loves God? Well, then this message is for you and me and everybody else in this room. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. Church, we cannot properly magnify Jesus in us and through us unless we have first loved him. 
It's one thing to receive love from the Father, as, as John is saying, that the Father loved first. It's one thing to receive love. Someone can say, I love you, and you're like, yeah, right. Like, how hard is it to receive something? For some of, maybe some of you love receiving presents. For me, it's kind of awkward when I receive gifts. So when someone shares their, it's not one of my top, it's not one of my top love languages, receiving gifts. <laughs> so when someone gives me a gift, it makes me kind of like, I, I don't know how to handle that. Like someone's loving on me and I don't know how to respond rightly. Imposter. It's one thing to receive love from the Father. It's another thing to love him back. And furthermore, it's another thing to love each other rightly once you get the first two right. So how important is love throughout the whole process of magnification? Love is what makes it all possible. The light of God's love was shining on us in our darkness, but it wasn't until he sent Yeshua, his matchless son, into the world that he was able to put this light within us so that we could live through him and magnify him rightly because Yeshua is love, and without Yeshua, we cannot love. Pastor Casey, let's pick up in the next verse. Verse 10 says, This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones, if he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. Oh, say that again. Man, I love this translation. Then loving one another should be our way of life. So if we're saying that a king came, and we have a whole holiday today that celebrates the arrival of a king, and we're saying that he reigns on the throne in heaven, he reigns on the throne of, of our hearts, then we ought to live according to the culture of that king, yeah? And right here in 1 John 4, John probably caught the culture better than many even of the other disciples, if he loved us with such a tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. We're talking about the extension of Jesus' dominion and the perpetuation of his peace. If we look at an Isaiah chapter 9 and a 1 John 4, what then is the culture and proof that the king whom we say we love is truly on the throne among us and in us? It's this love that we're speaking of. The ultimate Holy Ghost coup happened for authority and influence in the earth, and it came in the form of a baby. Thirty years of few signs and wonders. A sacrificial, selfless death, then a culture of sacrificial, selfless love among its people and disciples. So if you've been wondering whether or not you've been getting this whole discipleship thing down correctly... Then check yourself here in 1 John 4. He first loved us. That's why he was sent. Do you love yourself yet? Oh, you thought I was going to ask if you were loving each other yet. Do you love yourself yet? Because even the golden rule says you ought to love others, love one another as you have been loved. Right? So if... If that in its most basic nature is a principle of our kingdom that we ought to love one another as we love ourselves, that we ought to treat one another as we would want to be treated, 
then you're going to have to learn to love yourself. Man, what if we got in tune with the culture of this king whom we serve and actually considered discipleship to be a lifestyle of loving one another the way we ought to and not considering discipleship to be a cutting of others or ourselves so that we're not an annoyance to each other anymore? Man, how much does that determine the culture of a church's discipleship culture? It's like some, a few men or a few women's preferences of how things should go, how things should be said, how you should look, how da, 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 all these things. Squaring off the edges. Uniformity. I don't care for your individuality. I don't really like the way God made you. I want to make you my way. Square off the edges. No. How are people going to see him in us if all we do is tell each other what's wrong with each other? How are, we, how are people going to see him in us if all we do is tell each other what's wrong with each other? Pastor Landon, please, before I get carried away right now, with God's perfect scriptures, tell us how. Verse 12. Picking up in verse 12, it says, No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. It's a crazy thought. But if we love one another, come on, that's a big but. But no if, one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to its full expression in us. And he has given us his spirit within us. So that we can have assurance that he lives in us and that we might live in him. Amen. Come on, so J John's just straight up with you. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of Christ, so don't get excited about doing it yourself. But, but, if by your love for one another you shine like Jesus, then God can then take up residence in your heart. And we make our residence permanent in him. And his love is brought to its fullest expression in us. We might not can grasp the fullness of Yahweh's splendor, but we can have the fullness of his love dwell in us and shine through us. And it comes by sharing the love that he has shown us. Magnifying Christ. He has given us his spirit to help us do so. And when we allow Holy Spirit to come in and clean up shop and get these things right, in us and put them into right order for us, it then leaves room for us to operate in a victorious nature, yeah. having been empowered by the love of God in a way that enables us to then reproduce Christ in us and love each other rightly. John 13, 34 through 35 says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, there's that receiving love again. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my baby Christians. Nah, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Christ in us is not tearing down our brother and sisters, thinking we have the opportunity to just cut them down, as Pastor Kaysen was referencing, because we're close to them, and we're supposed to be their guardians, and we're supposed to watch out for them. When someone is in a state 
of struggling with something, the last thing they need you to do is make them more anxious. They need someone to stand in front of them, refract the love of Christ, and love them rightly so that they can then pick themselves up with the help by your hand and walk in Christ-likeness. Christ is Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ in us is life-giving speech. Christ in us is the encouragement, not discouragement, of our brothers and sisters around us, not tearing them down. Christ in us will change the cosmos. Christ in us will produce life in each other. And Christ in us produces love for each other. In a world that is so confused regarding what real love is, how will they ever come to know the truth if we don't walk in true love? True love is all about the king, and it's all about each other. Yeshua makes his home in us, and Yeshua is love. Luke 17, 20 through 21 says, Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. It does not come with your rules and regulations. It doesn't come with your five senses. People will say, here it is and there it is. But Jesus says, no. No, the kingdom of God is within you. Saints, the kingdom does not come with head knowledge. The kingdom does not come with obeying certain man-made rules and regulations. Or even have anything to do, like I said, with the five senses that you operate in on the daily. The kingdom of God, the love of God, and the light of his kingdom is within us. God has quite literally set up the heartbeat of his kingdom, who is Jesus, in here. He took up residence in us when we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. When we said, I do, to Jesus, he took up residence in us. We might only be able to catch glimpses and little bits of God's splendor, but the fullness of Christ can dwell in us. And in Jesus' name, will dwell in each and every one of us here this morning. John chapter 12, 35 through 36 says this. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. That's interesting. Jesus himself is standing among, his, among disciples and even a crowd. This is, this is him mostly speaking to a crowd that was just a bunch of bystanders watching him. He says, walk while you have the light, lest darkness take over you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Man, I, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud with you guys here at this point. Jesus says, walk with the light while the light is still with you, that you might become sons of light. And then he goes and hides himself for a, for a moment. Maybe it's, he's trying to introduce to them to show this is what happens whenever you just can't find me for a moment and I am still here on the earth. Do you think that maybe that would raise a sense of urgency among the potential disciples there? Be like, whoa. Light just exited the room. We're going to have to have some other sources of light, just like the light that was in here. 
How are we going to do that? How are we going to have other sources of light just like the one that was in here? You got to get close enough that you combust in the same flames as he, as he is. That's a good word. Well, while many were looking for a Messiah that would come and rescue them and would be king and would be king over their darkness, he came and called them out of their darkness and into his marvelous light. You are that light, the scripture says. You are the sons of light. Who's going to make a decision today that they're going to stop considering that being in the favor of their favorite pastor is the ultimate goal and instead jump into the light that is Christ so that your discipleship may be what Christ intended it to be, impactful to the whole cosmos? Because I find it to be a powerless, false humility for Christians to just quote, wait on him, to do it himself, waiting on him to do it himself, to quote, wait upon the Lord does not mean wait for him to only manifest and display himself. The entire purpose of his physical manifestation on the earth is that you could tangibly interact with him and then you would burst into the same flames that he came in and then the sons of light produce what? More sons of light. So what does it mean as disciples of Christ to make more disciples? You're going to have to let somebody get close enough to you to catch the same fire that you have. And if you don't feel like you are competent to do such a thing, then maybe you ought to go draw near to someone who is burning hotter than you are. Man, Jesus intended for this thing from the very beginning for us to be right next to each other. This. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. For all you brainiacs, we got the NASB now. We're all over the place this morning. Did you all find verse 33? No. It's right after 32, right before 34. Thank you. Luke eleven thirty three. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the light or the lamp illuminates you with its rays. Come on. We have to believe that we are the very substance of the light of Christ. If you find yourself in Yeshua and you find Yeshua abiding in you, then he has called you, then Yahweh has called you the righteousness of God in Christ. To refract him is not to produce an illusion of him or his light. That's really important. Need a few of y'all to really catch this this morning. 
the ministry that comes from each one of your lives is not an illusion of Christ. It is Christ. The term body of Christ has become such a nominal phrase today. The scriptures said that you are the very body of Christ, the physical body of Christ. That means that you're not the projection of him. This is this stuff, trust me, y'all. We've been working on this for months. This has messed with every bit of my religiosity. We are the very righteousness of God in Christ. We, as sons and daughters of light, are to be the very light that He is. And we become that light when we have been filled with that light. This doesn't come by way of knowledge, nor by way of experience or wisdom. Does the application of the glory of God, could it possibly improve by experience, like fathers and mothers raising up children? They've been through a few years of life so they can relay something to another generation? Absolutely. But it does not improve your righteousness nor improve God's love for you. And if we want you guys to take anything from this eight weeks of a discipleship teaching, it's that... It's that, do you not feel special before God? Because I've been fighting my whole life telling myself that I was some leftover. Or I've been fighting myself my whole life just saying, well, no, that's prideful. It's prideful to think of myself as that loved, as that important to him, as that special. Your discipleship is not this, that your tab has been cleared. Your salvation was not that either. You've been given a genuine new name. You do not stand in blood-soaked garments. Isaiah chapter 9 said that the boots of the soldiers and the blood-soaked garments of the soldiers are meant for fuel for the fire, but then that a new sun has come. Come on, the boots of the soldiers, the sound of soldiers coming, and the garments of their, that are soaked in blood are fuel for the fire, and behold, a son has come to us. They have been burned and you've been dressed in light. You've not been given more knowledge. You've been given the prophetic mind and heart of Jesus. Your discipleship is not to polish you to make you more desirable to the world or other Christians. It is to walk with you in his light so that we may all be the very manifestation of his light upon an earth lost in darkness. I want you guys to leave with this today before we do communion together. Psalm 145 verses 8 through 13 says this, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, Slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and your glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures through all the generations. Come on, guys. 
Let's pray together, and then Pastor Mike's going to lead us into communion. Actually, we're going to, we got a little exclamation point. Oh, come on. uh, Some scriptures are coming to mind as uh, the word was this morning. Amen? This morning, or maybe yesterday evening, was a time of year where many things are magnified, and hopefully Jesus too. But this morning... We're standing here magnifying the king of glory. Whether other people do or not, that does not matter to us. This is who we are and what we do. We're not doing a thing. We're just being who we are, being here, refracting the king of glory. So you may have heard a particular passage on this particular part of year from Isaiah 7, verse 14. That goes something like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And will be called Emmanuel. Matthew 1 goes on to say that means God with us. And so we think that this passage is saying, hey, the sign will be that he's born to a virgin, but what if the sign will be that he is Manuel, God, with us? Say, what these pastors just magnified to you was the truth and the promise that the sign right here, right now, in this day, is not just that Messiah was born to a virgin, but that Messiah was now seated on the throne of your heart and that you are the sign. In Isaiah 7, you might have a heading that says, A Sign of Emmanuel. Let me give you one or two more passages just to put this at home and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Not a morbid thing, but a celebration to the king. Amen? This reminded me of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. And it says, therefore, when Messiah came into the world, this is what he said. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. I don't know if you're getting this. Another translation, the literal translation says, but you have given me a body to offer. What is the sign that there would be a body to offer? And maybe your thoughts stop at a cross when the Messiah beautifully gave his body and broke it for you. But what if you're the body of Christ, therefore you're the sign, and he has raised you up as a body that he would offer to this generation? So then Yeshua beautifully broke his body so that he might beautifully restore yours. So his body was beautifully broken for you that your body might be beautifully put back together. And how many of you know your Bible's not talking about you individually but us collectively? 
As the pastor just said, and listen, it's easy to love Jesus. It's hard to love those on your left and right. And that's, as John says, when the love of Christ is actually flowing through you and not just to you. Listen to the revelation song that's happening when the heavens take communion, which they never stop doing, by the way. Revelation 5, in verse 9, and they sang a new song. They sang a communion song. For you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe, in every language, in every people, in every nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Not for him to serve you, for you to serve him. And to be excited when you do it. <laughs> That's a journey in itself, isn't it? So a body was broken for you that yours might be beautifully put back together. And a blood was poured out for you that, it, that, that might cause light to now infuse you. So that you might stand here on this planet and love what's going on inside of you. So that you might love what's going on inside of those standing in front of you. That they might have what you have. The pastor said we took the last two months to talk to you about authentic discipleship. You remember that word authentic? The thing that says everybody says they want but don't really want it. Because they can't really handle it when they get it. Because it's too raw and it's too real and it's too close and I might have to let down my walls and actually let you in. Yeah, that's how we're going to live. Therefore, that's how we're going to stand. And when everybody else takes the robe paid to hell, we're going to stand and on, on the gates of heaven. And we're going to be known not by our fantastic doctrine and our pretty suits and our well-buttoned up speech we're going to be known by our love for one another yeah we're going to be known by our, you know how i how we know whether we love one another or not we go through something with each other we stand with one another we don't run we don't retreat we get refilled and we stand when everybody else walks stand with me so as we take communion today as families, as groups, as individuals, whatever it might be, don't, don't let this be a ritual. Let it be a remembrance that the body that was broken for you was done so that yours might be put back together and you might be made whole. Don't you know that you can serve Jesus and be happy about it? Yeah, what a noble idea. When you take the bread today, remember, remember, it symbolizes his body broken for you so that you might be able to stand right here and take it. Man, that shouldn't cause you to be like, oh, woe is morbid as old me. I'm going to play a funeral song in my mind. No, that should get you excited, full of joy, ready to walk out those doors and shine your light. And when you take when you take of his his when you take the wine or you take grape juice whatever we're drinking today right when you take these things do it in remembrance. Yeah. 
remembrance of the day that that was poured out and there was life in the blood. And because there was life in the blood, he poured it out on you so that you might resurrect from the dead and refract his light in this place this morning. That you might look to each other on your left and right and say, you're not lovable, but I'm going to love you anyway. Because that's how my king, because he first loved me, I'm going to love you before I get anything in return. So as we take communion today, let it be a celebration of life. Leave out these doors victorious, full of hope, full of joy, full of Jesus. Amen? Come on. There are the elements in the back, and I would encourage you family by family, however you see fit.